Okay, welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim, uh... Adam. It's... <laughs> it's, it's it's very obvious now that we don't script these little chit chatty segments at the beginning. No, but uh, no. you know, I was gonna say it's uh, good spring weather. Um, I know a lot of yeah. kids down at the U of G probably are finished their exams now and uh, heading home or starting summer jobs or uh, drinking heavily at the bullring, whatever floats their boat. So <laughs> yeah, that's good. Maybe they'll overhear this somehow while they're drinking heavily and. <laughs> like, oh, I gotta see that movie. Yeah, sounds good. Now that we're talking, I'm not 100 percent sure they still serve at the Bullring. Um, maybe that's an after dark thing. I don't know. But hey, it was once a, you know, I assume it was once an actual Bullring. Um, <laughs> Asterix there. I'll have to check my history of campus, but that's fine. Anyway, moving on. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the news movies, which this week will be the new biographical sports film, Air. And you can now see it at a theater near you, uh, depending on how good the box office is, of course. Um, it's very hard to market these sorts of films, even when they almost literally come attached with the names Michael Jordan and Nike. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, one would think I mean once upon a time wouldn't be so hard to think that this would be a, a very financially successful movie but these are very different times and speaking of different times um, sports movies well they're they're an old go-to uh, it's pretty easy uh, to find a sports movie you like even if you're not particularly sporty I don't know about you, Tim. I'm not a particularly sporty, so I. But I, I do enjoy sports films. What say you? Yeah, I um, I've I've always been into sports, so I enjoy them. But I, uh, yeah, I think there's so many good ones out there that even if you're not into sports, they, it's more about the characters and what they're going through. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of options for people who aren't even into sports for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always worth knowing those Rocky movies, like. They're two hours long, but there's probably maybe 20 minutes of actual boxing in each one of them. <laughs> yeah. And then the fight scenes are just him getting hit in the face a million times and he comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Until the last They're unrealistic. Yeah. 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 Just pure That's entertainment right. value. Yeah. 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 So it's, 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 it's always interesting that the best sports movies um, are almost very negligible, negligibly, negligibly about the sports. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Field of yeah. Dreams, like there's precious little baseball playing in Field of Dreams. A lot of looking longingly into a cornfield. Not so much, not a lot of baseball. Um, yeah. but it considered one of the best baseball movies of all time. Yeah, relationship with the father in that one. And then I think of like a TV series. Well, I think of the movie too. I really like Friday Night Lights, but the TV mm-hmm. series for it. I knew so many many people who were into it or weren't into football at all just because mm-hmm. of the characters and like the high school experience, the pressure. Um, yeah, the, the, being under pressure in high school and going through, you know, life-changing experiences, that's something everyone could relate to. So it didn't even matter if it was football, baseball, basketball, or chess, I chess, think yes. it would have, I think it would have <laughs> resounded. Don't forget, yeah. uh, serial killers, you know, that horrible second season of Friday Night Lights with the serial killer. 
Anyway, um, all high school shows go to serial killers eventually. I'm looking at you, Riverdale. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're going to take the first part of this week's show and talk about sports movies. I was a way of queuing this up. We're not going to do a top three sports movies or something kind of straightforward like that. Uh, we decided to take a pick from one of three categories. So you have uh, our, our categories, I should say, uh, for this for this experiment. This is not a universal thing, but uh, for our for our purposes here, we're going to take a movie from that's based on a true life story, a true life sports story, whether that is uh, something that more narrative or a documentary. And then for the second category, we have the, an underdog story. And obviously that could be a true life or a narrative thing as well. But the the heroes of that movie have to be an underdog. And then for our third category, we're going with fake sports, a movie about a fake sport completely made up for the movie. And uh, there are winners and losers in fake sports as well. Important to keep in mind, life, real life lesson, even fake sports yes. have winners and losers. There are. Yeah. Those are <laughs> rules of the game, Adam. Rules, rules of the game. Of the game. Okay, so let's start off with our uh, pick for the uh, best sports life, uh, sports true life story. And Tim, uh, what is your pick for the based on a true story sports story? Thanks, Adam. Based on a true story sports story, the first one that came to my <laughs> mind was Eight Men Out from 1988, mm-hmm. uh, written and directed by John Sayles. Mm-hmm. It's based on real life events the black Sox scandal from 1919 when the chicago black Sox got involved with gamblers and threw the world series to let the uh cincinnati reds win the world series and eight men out refers to the eight people who were banned for life from baseball because they took the meetings with the gamblers john cusack Mm -hmm. is sort of the lead it's a real ensemble piece but he plays buck weaver who's uh the third baseman who was took the meeting with the gamblers but did not throw the world series and if anything he played better he tried to make up for his teammates who he knew were throwing were throwing the series and he played even better but but because he took those meetings with the gamblers he was thrown out of baseball mm-hmm. so that's sort of a sad moment from from the story and then you've got David Strathairn um, playing a pitcher who, and, and it, it, it was a great story here about Charles Comiskey, who is the owner of the Chicago White Sox at the time. The stadium was named after him, Comiskey Park. Mm-hmm. And there was a clause in this pitcher's contract where if he got 30 wins during the season, he would get a bonus that he really needed to live on back then in mm-hmm. 1919. He's an aging pitcher coming near the end of his career. And what Comiskey did was he said, okay, you're aging. We're going to sit you for the rest of the year when he was on 29 wins. So he couldn't get his bonus. So you can see the reasons why they take the meetings with the gamblers, how they needed the money. Also the revenge they wanted to take against Kaminsky and the way he treated the, the ball players. So there's this great sort of undercurrent of getting back revenge at Comiskey, but then also what are the pressures involved? And then when they get involved with the, with the gangsters, there's added pressures because uh, David Strathairn's character, Eddie, the pitcher, he starts having second thoughts, he starts pitching well, 
And then they're like, we know where your wife lives. We have somebody going around to your house right now. So then he starts queuing up home run balls. Um, and it's, it's really a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the people who were involved with the filming of the movie went on to work on Ken Burns baseball documentary, which was wi- widely acclaimed in the nineties, uh, mm-hmm. for PBS. Uh, and it's a great story. And then the baseball scenes are really true to life for baseball. Mm-hmm. Now I grew up enjoying baseball as a baseball fan fanatic when as a kid. So I like it. Um, I think it translates well, even if you're not a sports fan or a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Charlie Sheen, he said the only, the reason he took the role is he wanted to play baseball. So <laughs> <laughs> he's in, he does really well is his character. Um, Happy's his character and outfielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, the, the, the baseball scenes really true to life great writing you can see what's motivating the characters and as a lot of people have stated it was like one of the saddest chapters in american sports the fact that these these players for the white Sox they felt pressured because they weren't getting paid to to undermine the world series to get together with these gamblers and then they all were banned from baseball including buck weaver who didn't even who just took the meeting he didn't even uh, didn't even play poorly, didn't even throw the series. So it's a great movie. It looks great too on the screen. And uh, I think it's uh, one of John Sale's best films, which is saying a lot because he's done some great films like Lone Star, I think is one of the best movies ever. So I highly recommend going back in time a bit to 1988 for Eight Men Out for a true to life uh, sports story. Yeah, and that's that. That's an interesting sort of standout in the subgenre of baseball movies because um, baseball being so closely tied with Americana and the goodness of America, and here you have this oily, seedy um, kind of <laughs> kind of gross story about the dark underbelly of baseball too. And you know, one one would think you know if you didn't know the story either, Black Sox, Black Hawks, and they're both Chicago teams. Maybe one of them decided to blink and change the name. It's nope, because the Black Sox, uh, you know, their name were mud in Chicago after all this, so they had to become the White Sox. So that's an interesting story, and um, I, I wholeheartedly endorse it. I I went with a doc for my pick, and it's a little outside the the norm of what you might call a sports movie. But it is about it is a, uh, about two highly skilled competitors. Um, it is called The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. It is uh, a documentary by Seth Gordon. And it is about uh, Bill Wiebe. I think it was Bill. No, Billy Mitchell and, and uh, Steve Wiebe. Sorry, I got that backwards. Steve Wiebe is this guy. He's an upstart. He buys a, a Donkey Kong, an old Donkey Kong arcade box. Um, sets about breaking the Donkey Kong world record. The guy that holds the world record is Billy Mitchell. And he's kind of a celebrity in this um, sort of small insular world of of uh, competitive arca- arcade game players. And uh, Steve Wiebe beats the record. He videotapes himself doing it. He submits it to Twin Galaxies, which is kind of the... Uh, the the East Sporting Authority in terms of the the old eighties arcade games, and uh, he has made the the world record holder. But uh, his box is inspected 
and they find out that it was um, Patch because um, you know these the, the movie was released in 2007, so um, these boxes are about 20 years old at this point. Uh, a lot of them, if not older, so you know they've been repaired and patched and things. And the person who fixed uh, Steve Weeby's box apparently had a long-standing beef with Billy Mitchell, and so Steve Weeby's results were thrown out. Uh, Twin Galaxies says that uh, they don't accept videotaped uh, scores. You have to do the score in person with somebody watching. So Steve Weeby goes to one of these tournaments that they hold, and um, you know he he doesn't break the world record, but he does get to the kill screen. And then uh, uh, Billy, the whole the whole this whole subplot about Billy Mitchell refusing to to meet Steve Weeby and and play him. Um, you know, to, in other words, compete. Uh, Billy Mitchell submits a videotape of him breaking the million points on Donkey Kong, and that's immediately accepted as a new world record. So there's this whole like political dynamic of favoritism, mm-hmm. and whether they, you know, whether they're protecting Billy Mitchell because he's the celebrity, he's kind of like the face of 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 this art, this arcade gaming, and so it's a little bit like Eight Men Out in terms of like, is there corruption in this? In this body uh, of the twin galaxies, they're protecting their star player and maybe letting him cheat. And of course, I mean, if you've been followed sort of the aftermath of this, it did turn out that Billy Mitchell had been cheating in terms of like faking scores. Um, And he, he, his records have since all been tossed out of twin galaxies. And if you go to twin galaxies now and see the leaderboard, Steve Weeby does have the world record for Donkey Kong, which is just to serve. But this is a fascinating story. All the characters involved, like there's a scene with um, Steve Weeby playing Donkey Kong at one of these Twin Galaxies tournaments, and there's a guy who's like watching him play, and then like calling Billy Mitchell on the phone and like feeding him like what Steve Weeby's up to. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the, the the Machiavelli nature of all of it is insane because it's just like these little silly arcade boxes, eight bit video games. It's uh, the pettiness, uh, the the small glory, the vindication. It's all beautiful to watch. It, it's it, it's it's a true delight, the King of Kong, and I think you can find it streaming in most places. So, uh, it is a real sports story, even if you don't consider e gaming a real sport. Yeah, I, I I like to watch it I, on one of my stations now. I get e gaming. I watched it the one night, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Wow, this is actually kind of addictive to watch these people <laughs> playing video games, right?" <laughs> People I mean, watch Twitch and all that, right? So. I mean, there's a reason why these, you know, it's successful. It's people, people get into it. I mean, it, you know, consider gaming culture and how toxic it is. It seems primed to be like, like turned into a sport. But anyway, uh, next we're going to do our underdogs. So, Tim, what's your underdog story? Uh, my best underdog sports movie that came to my mind. At first, I was thinking uplifting. I was thinking the movie Rudy, mm-hmm. which I was chanting Rudy, Rudy, Rudy at the <laughs> end of it. <laughs> but I went with what I think is a better movie, but a total opposite, a more, more downcast movie. It's called mm. Fat City from 1972, mm-hmm. uh, produced and directed by John Huston. The film is about uh, a former champion boxer played by Stacy Keach, mm-hmm. who uh, develops a rivalry with a younger boxer played by Jeff Bridges. And then he starts mentoring him and he starts training him. And so it's something we've seen in other films, but the thing about this film is just so, it seems so true to life 
in a down sort of a downbeat way yet the characters are all all striving for something they're all trying to get through their day trying to get through their life mm-hmm. billy tolly is the boxer uh Stacey keach plays who's past his prime and his one hope in the world is uh the jeff bridges character the younger boxer it's his hope that he'll become something that he'll make it where Billy never truly made it. Mm. Um, and he, he, he puts everything into this kid, but then it turns out the kid starts making similar mistakes to what Billy made. Mm -hmm. Uh, his girlfriend's pregnant. He has to pick veg fruits and vegetables, just like Billy to make ends meet. (laughs) Um, cause they're just living in poverty and, so they have these job where they have to pick vegetables. Um, and then Billy just, he drinks too much, can't hold a job. He just picks fruits and vegetables to get through his life. And then he, he finally, he has a chance to, uh, to get back in the ring. And you see in a lot of like these underdog movies, okay, he has a chance to get in the ring. You think of like Rocky and a lot of the really good underdog movies, they get in the ring, they, have to, they finally have their shot and then they take it. Mm-hmm. You know, in Rocky, he loses, but he loses with dignity. He goes the distance. That's his goal and he, and he accomplishes it. Mm-hmm. Whereas this fight that Billy Tully gets in is with another washed up fighter and they just, it's true to life in that they're hitting each other and they just get so tired they can can't even get on with the fight anymore mm-hmm. they're just both spent in the ring uh they can't can't continue on and then billy after all this effort training to get in the ring for this what he in his mind's a big fight what really is a bottom of the ticket fight he finds out that he's only going to be paid a hundred dollars for this fight <laughs> right <laughs> and so it's just devastating for him yet you're fascinated and you are you're still entranced by the whole thing and and you're you're watching to see what he'll do and then the um his girlfriend's uh husband gets out of prison comes back and now he's billy's thrown out of that so he doesn't even have the love of his life anymore he's thrown out of that situation and it's got this great sort of open ending where um, where Billy is on the street and he sees Ernie Munger, which is the Jeff Bridges character, and er- and uh, Billy's been drinking and Ernie wants nothing to do with him. But Billy's like, oh, come with me, come with me. Let's get a coffee. Let's get a coffee and talk about the old times and talk about... So they go, and they go in the coffee shop to get a coffee and Ernie keeps wanting to get up to leave and Billy's like, no, stay, stay. <laughs> I want to talk to you, but then they just stay and there's no talking. Right. But he has some stay. It's just so shows like this desperation and the, uh, just needing connection with people. It's a great movie about loneliness and the fact that they're in this coffee shop and it's just this a- ambiguity where it's just silence. And that's just where they're at. And there's no great accomplishment. He hasn't won the belt. He hasn't come back and, and and done this. And I think one of the best critiques of this movie was Muhammad Ali said to John Houston that the dialogue on screen was true to life. It's just just like <laughs> just like people he boxed with. And th- that's the champion of the world. 
who had this glorious career, but he knows like the brutality of boxing, what it's about people who don't quite make it. And he, he said it was true to life. And Fat City is a, a title that the author of the book said meant like this city where you get everything. It's just mm. opulence. And he and it's like a goal you'll never achieve, right? So it, it's like Billy and Ernie are, are going for this goal they'll never achieve, mm-hmm. but they're trying to get through life as they can anyway and trying to make connections. So it's a it's a great movie in that sense true underdog story but the thing is despite the downcast nature of it mm-hmm. stacy keach in the lead role is just he's so charismatic mm-hmm. and a fun fact from back then um the kansas city film circle he tied marlon brando for the godfather for best actor and new york film circle they would have tied but they had some weird rule where they didn't give a tie so they gave it to the third place person for some reason um lawrence olivier for sleuth because they couldn't mm-hmm. decide between stacy keach and marlon brando so it's a great <laughs> performance and then susan T- tyrell excellent and you really truly think she's an alcoholic and she was nominated for best supporting actress i she didn't win but it's just a great movie and Another funny thing about it, it's from 1972 and it was like a box office success. Mm. So like this downbeat movie <laughs> with a like a sad, ambiguous ending was like a box office success back then. So it just shows how times have changed, really. Um, that It's fascinating that that would be like that was like John Houston's comeback at the time mm. um, after he had had some box office dogs up till then. But I definitely recommend Fat City going back even further, 1972. It's really a fascinating movie. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm going to, for my underdog, uh, I'll keep it short because I went with a movie that literally has underdog in the title. It's another unconventional sports movie. It's called Dodgeball, a oh, yeah. true underdog story. <laughs> uh, Rowan Marshall uh, Thurberg, uh, before he became uh, one of... Dwayne Rock Johnson's sort of rep repertory directors. Um, but it is funny. It is Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller at their peak. Uh, it, it's insanely quotable. Um, it is insanely memorable. Lots of great cameos too. Even like actors in small roles like Gary Cole and Jason Bateman. Uh, stay tuned for more Jason Bateman as uh, Cotton and Pepper, the two uh, commentators for ESPN, the Ocho. Uh, who who exclusively cover the the dodgeball circuit, um, but you know Justin Long, Stephen Root, Christine Taylor, Alan Tudyk, Chris Williams, so much great comedic talent on screen. I think if there's one thing that's going to sink, um, perhaps in some people's estimation, is that uh, Peter Lafleur, the the Vince Vaughn character, gets a pep talk from Lance Armstrong, who of course, <laughs> several years after this movie was released, was discovered to be uh doping and uh that his his cycling records and his achievements uh were were stripped from him um i actually think that makes the movie work better that you have you know there's definitely an air of like a charlatan to peter lafleur and uh for him to get like a pep talk from another charlatan and then go out and have like a a legitimate victory (laughs) in a sport i don't know uh that makes i think that makes this movie even better uh i think if you can sit there and um and watch Chuck 
uh, Norris be a, an arbiter of uh, fairness, despite his track record as a far right wacko. It's, <laughs> you know, you can you can uh, enjoy you can still enjoy uh, seeing Lance Armstrong um, <laughs> falsely give an inspirational pep talk uh to to another character but um yeah i mean it's still a lot of fun it's still it's still snaps it's still hilarious um and you know what it's real you know everyone can be a winner it's uh you know average shows average shows yeah average shows yeah so yeah that's a that's a funny one i really like that movie it's definitely one of the the better ones from that cast for sure (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it's <laughs> no, everyone. I mean, it's you know, you recognize everyone, but everyone's at the top of their game, and uh, it's 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 a lot of fun, super fun. And Rip Torn, uh, one of the best sports name, Patches O'Hulahan. Come on, <laughs> if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. It's <laughs> it's a metaphor for life, really. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the fake sport category. Yeah, for the best fake sports movie, the first one that came to my mind was Death Race 2000 from mm-hmm. 1975, mm-hmm. which was remade as Death Race in 2008. I haven't seen the remake, but the original, if you look up like cult movie in the dictionary, yeah, there'd be a picture of this movie. Um, it's wild. It's produced by the king of cult, Roger Corman, and is directed by a lovable weirdo, Paul Bartel, mm-hmm. who went on to write star in and direct eating raul a few years later that's right which is another messed up movie <gasps> and the cool thing about this movie too is i i, it, I don't know if it's an urban legend or true but i have seen it a number of times that you know when you're in a car with somebody and they're like how many points for that person if i hit them yeah um that that's taken from this film because that's the that's the the sport basically it's people driving around in souped up automobiles but they're all dressed like weird superheroes too david carradine is this character frankenstein yeah <laughs> wears like a cape and like a mask to cover his supposedly disfigured face um there's a pre-fame pre-rocky sylvester stallone mm-hmm. who plays a machine gun joe viterbo that's right and uh so you have all this going on and and the whole premise is that they drive these cars and certain people are worth points if you run them over and kill them with your car which isn't so politically correct nowadays i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) there'd probably be people picketing this film if it's released now but in the the 70s it, it 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 works really well and 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 the point system is very strange too right it's not people who can get out of the way of the car it's people who are uh more rare so it's like somebody's like 99 years old they're worth more points because there's less 99 year olds just a strange concept um and yeah it's uh apparently too it's got a weird origin to it is that roger corman like definitely sort of the king of schlock and a real savvy business person, he found out that Rollerball, the um, Norman Jewison movie, Mm -hmm. uh, was going to be released. He had seen all like the press for it, trailers. So he rushed this out to compete with it or to get some of that market. (laughs) Um, 
and uh, I think he got it out first. And it's uh, it's a wild movie. It's even based on a short story by some some gentleman who a lot of his short stories ended up being Roger Corman films, I believe. Yeah, he bought um, the pack. He bought the rights package. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and the director Paul Bartel actually he thought the script was unshootable but he went ahead with it originally uh corman wanted peter fonda to play the lead role Mm -hmm. um but after he read the script he said it was too ridiculous so they went with david carradine who was filming kung fu at the time he's playing kane in kung fu and he said he wanted to get away from being typecast in that role being known for his television career so this Mm -hmm. was his big branching out into movies and probably more than he expected. He probably got more than he expected with this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. And pa- Paul Bartel, actually the director, I don't think he was super happy with the outcome. Cause he had a lot of jokes in it that I guess Corman took out for more action and violence, but there are a few really silly jokes in there. And the whole premise is pretty, pretty off the wall as well. And there's pretty this whole political yeah. thing to it about, um, about what's happening and that the government's controlling the population and to pacify them, they've come up with this road race where, where, where people high powered cars kill people. So mm-hmm. it's uh it's a wild one. Um, very politically incorrect. And, but I definitely recommend it. Haven't seen the remake. And I know this, in, I think this inspired some video games and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot of people have heard of it before, but I would go back to the original uh, death race 2000 from 1975 uh yeah the remake i mean what can i say it was a remake um it it doesn't really acquit the the original well it's you know because you know death race death race 2000 was something roger corman was cranking out along with five other movies at that year um and then you know became a brand name and you know now now we know what we kind of do with brand names and again we'll get more into that in a second um, my pick wouldn't exist without Death Race 2000 because it's very much uh, a, a part of that. It, going back in sort of the e-gaming realm, uh, my fake sport is uh, Gamer from 2009. Uh, just to to explain the situation briefly, it's set in the not terribly too distant future. Um, essentially, it, it uh, people you know, economic inequality has fractured even more. So people, uh, poor people can sort of sell themselves to join this uh, game called society uh, where avatars, where they become avatars. Nanites allow them to become avatars for somebody who can play them. And obviously a lot of the players of society are rich people. So if you're poor, you can become an avatar for some rich person who can control you in this like video gamey Truman showish world. There's also a sister game called Slayers, which pits the same principle, except it pits prisoners against each other in sort of like the most deadliest game scenario. And that's where Gerard Butler comes in. Gerard Butler, you know, if there's one person who's like a victim of living in the time they live in, it's Gerard Butler. In the 80s, he would have been, we would be talking about him on par with Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Van Damme uh, and all of those guys. But he had the extreme bad fortune to be born uh later than that so but you know gamer uses all of his abilities very very well as a sort of like a tough guy um 
vaguely european tough guy even though he's his accent is unknowable he's from dublin oklahoma as i've heard people explain his accent before um <laughs> but it's a, it's a neville dean and taylor film so i mean there, there's a lot of like really interesting ideas floating around this about um equality about control because the bad guy and it, it, it the bad guys play by michael c hall who's just like chewing the scenery like it's just coming off a conveyor belt and he has to eat it all um <laughs> he, he's got this plan to essentially take over control of the united states by putting nanites in the minds of everyone and then he can control everyone it's nuts um but you know if it wasn't a Neville Dean and Taylor film, and these are the guys who are responsible for like the crank movies and um, the most recent ghost rider movie, the one with uh, the second one with Nicholas cage where he's peeing fire. Um, so these, these are, these are not subtle guys. Um, <laughs> to, put them, to put it mildly. Um, but so, I mean, it's, it's a horrible movie in a lot of ways, but it, it has a lot of interesting stuff going on. And, and Gerard Butler is, 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 is he's he's built for dad movies and this is definitely kind of like a dad movie it's like a sunday afternoon it's on tbs and away you go but there are a lot of interesting ideas at the heart it's definitely like a a descendant of the the death race 2000 uh i guess subgenre of um post-apocalyptic exploitation for sports (laughs) (laughs) subgenre But uh, yeah, it's worth checking out. It's easy to find on streaming. It's on a couple of the free streaming sites. So if you just like want to watch something kind of silly and anyway, gamer's good. All these movies are good. Um, whether or not air is good is a question we will determine next. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Damn it, Sonny, what happened to a phone call? I'm calling you now. I'm in the car. The rental car has a phone in it. it not me, the parents. It would have been unprofessional for me to just call them up. Right, so you just thought you'd show up at the front door. Look, if anybody back there asks where I am, just tell them I'm sick. You got it. Sick in the head. Okay, and that was a clip from Air. It's the new film from Ben Affleck, and it stars Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jason Bateman, Chris Mancina, Marlon Wayans, Chris Tucker, and Viola Davis. Uh, It is based on... Well, it's not based on anything in particular uh, in terms of like material, but what it is based on is how Nike, who at the time that this takes place, 1984, had a 17% market share in basketball apparel especially the shoes 
Uh, they were number three behind Converse and Adidas. And it's about how they managed to obtain basketball shoe supremacy by attaching their fate to a rising star by the name of Michael Jordan. And uh, it's a Michael Jordan movie where Michael Jordan does not play a starring role. You don't um, even see his face. It's just... Um, I have a note about that, but we'll get there in a yeah. sec. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is a Michael Jordan story as told through um, mostly three old white guys, but that's a, that, <laughs> that's the way this is. But uh, Tim, what were your, what are your initial thoughts about Air? I thought Air was a solid entertainment movie. I thought it was really... I think it was well done for for what it was, and of course, um, it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck back together again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I enjoyed it. It's it's an underdog story, like you said. Nike they make up the point clear that were they were number three when it came to basketball sneakers, well behind Adidas and Converse at the time, mm-hmm. and which is wild for people now. So I think that's. That's a real hook for people now because it's like mind blowing because everyone know years and years of Nike supremacy in, in that market. Um, no, Michael Jordan. People have heard about Air Jordan for years. So the fact that this before that they were number three, bottom of the totem pole. There, it says a lot. Um, and I'm sure you know it's based on a true story. And the screenplay, Alex Convery, um, it was on the blacklist. So it is an uh, original screenplay that he did based on this true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, like how much of it actually happened the way it did. Who knows? Mm. Um, but, you know, and then you've got Matt Damon's character, who I quite enjoyed watching. Sonny. But he's like this oracle, right? All of a sudden, he knows <laughs> Michael Jordan, who's drafted third in the draft. He knows that he's going to be MVP for years, win multiple championships, defensive player of the year. He knows all this stuff, which <laughs> I don't know how true to life that was. Or yeah. they, But I like that they show he's a gambler and mm-hmm. the fact that he's constrained by their budget and by mm-hmm. the fact that his boss, played by Jason Bateman, wants them to scatter the budget amongst three different draft picks in 1984. And then he has this moment of epiphany watching uh, clips of Jordan, that Jordan is the be all end all. I should Mm -hmm. go all in on Jordan Mm -hmm. and with his gambling nature, he does that. And it is, it is, it is fascinating to watch. Uh, And he plays off well from with Ben Affleck who plays Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike, they play well off each other. Mm-hmm. Jason Bateman, really good. My favorite was the gentleman who designs the shoes. Yeah. He was my favorite in the movie. Yeah, he's funny. He, yeah. You could even use a little more time with him. Chris Tucker is great in the film as well. But Viola Davis, obviously, I think at this point in her career, is probably the best actor of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing the mother, she does quite well. Could have used maybe a little bit more time with her. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then the decision was made, and you said you might talk about this a little bit later that they didn't make it about Mike, like they didn't show Michael Jordan's face. So, like when he's showing up at meetings with Adidas and Nike and stuff, he's always facing away. It's just somebody, <laughs> yeah. like a, it's just a background actor or whatever who's there, and they're just getting their 
they're back. And I'm not sure the reason I, I, I think artistic reason for that is so you don't have him taking all the air out, air out of the movie. Yeah, There's a yeah. ton that Take it's all going, yeah. yeah, all going towards this character who we're all going to, you know, criticize. Does he look like Michael Jordan? Does he do this? Does he that? Yeah. So I think the artistic choice makes a lot of sense. I don't know if there might be other stipulations because it, so much is of the movie is the deal that Jordan got and his mother helped him get with Nike where he gets a percentage of the shoes. So I don't know if Michael Jordan in real life has these deals where they can't show him maybe in, in a, in a film unless he gets a percentage or something like that. Um, so I'm not sure the true reason behind it, but I think artistically it works. Could he use more uh, Viola Davis as the mother, I think. And mm-hmm. then there's this real rah-rah between uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, which <laughs> I enjoyed watching, but at the end, it's just sort of this fist pumping, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> we did it, you know? And it's like, it reminds me of uh, Paul Giamatti in the movie Cinderella Man, where he was like the corner man for um, Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting nominated for an Oscar for it, but he's like so over the top. She's like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. Just jumping on his shoulders. That's what I felt like this. It was total like bro moments, which are kind of fun. Cause you know, the his shared history of Affleck and Damon, I think two other actors, you maybe wouldn't like it as much. Cause you don't know their mm-hmm. relationship and stuff, but it was real sort of like this bro moment, pump the fist, which was good, but it, it's what it is. You know, it's this, it's this good entertainment, Mm. you know it's you're not delving too deeply into the characters but i i enjoyed it for what it was for sure i really liked it yeah it's not deep but it is enjoyable it, this um and it's hard to shoot like telephone conversations and make them feel compelling and make them feel that the, that the two people are kind of in the same room um that you know two people are having a conversation i you know there are several ways to go about it too like i don't know what affleck did in terms of shooting some of those phone conversations if the actors were like talking to each other there on the set or or how he did it but there are at least two phone conversations in this film that just you're just so engrossed by them the back and forth is you you forget that it's two people talking over the phone and the first one is with uh, the Damon character, Sonny, talking to Jordan's uh, agent, um, yep. played by Chris Mancina, um, which is so funny. There are so many like really good one-liners <laughs> in that. Yeah. Um, and just great sort of like over-the-top swearing by Messina. He really relishes like chewing into those F-words. And then the, the later one where uh, Michael Jordan's mother calls Sonny to, to seal the deal. And... Um, you know, you mentioned the fact that Damon's gamble uh, character is a gambler, and um, I saw somebody say this online. This is is essentially how one man has such a big problem as a gambler that he decides to gamble his entire company and everyone's <laughs> jobs. But um, leaving that aside, yeah. it's it's this really great moment where he's like, he sealed the deal. She's calling to seal the deal. They accept the terms. But 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 Michael wants a piece of the shoe. He wants a piece of the action mm-hmm. and it's never been done before. And so, it, you know, the, the Damon's reaction, he's like, it's slipping away. It's like, Oh, I almost have it. It's just this wonderful <laughs> thing. It's Oh my God. And it's, it's, it's so well produced. And, and you're looking as, as Viola Davis is talking to the phone, you're you're from the audience. You're basically looking in her eye and you read like her determination. It's like, 
She's getting this for her son. This is what he deserves. They're staking their entire company on him. And she wants to make sure that he, you know, gets everything he deserves too. Yeah. And And she's a gambler too. Cause she almost, yeah. Yeah. yeah, When she, when it, when he says yes, she's a bit surprised by it. And she, you know, she just can relax at that point. Right. She's like, wow, we've achieved our goal here. That's what's interesting too. And, um, there's the scene where he goes to North Carolina and meets her and he, he explains like what's going to happen at the meeting with the Converse and the Adidas people. And that it's exactly how it unfolds. And you see her face as, as like Sonny's predictions come true. Yes. And there's this kind of mix of like uh, amusement um, about it. There's, she has this very sort of amused look and like Viola Davis. I mean, oh, she's so good in this. And yeah, yeah. I wish there was more. On the other hand, I, I do almost think that, I think we get the perfect amount of her as well. Um, but, you know, who can yeah. say? The, the thing about the Jordan thing I'll mention is um, like the scenes where you're the camera's kind of like behind him at the conference table, those didn't bother me so much, but there's the scene where they come into Nike yeah. and they're in the room and the camera's kind of just floating around because it's like 10 people in a room. And it's very clear that it's very clear. Affleck's like working hard and the actor who plays young Michael Jordan, I looked him up his name is Damian Delano Young. He's working so hard not to show his face. I know. He's like having to turn away. It's like. He's like looking at a painting <laughs> on the wall, right? Just so yeah. he does. Just so we don't see Michael. It's Jordan's like Affleck's face. directions. Like, look away. Don't look. Don't look yeah. at the camera. Damn yeah. it. Don't look at the camera. But yeah. it's it, it, it's working so hard. But then it's it's setting up this perfect scene. Like, where, as you said, like Damon's being this soothsayer that's like. Like you're gonna go win, you're gonna win championships, you're gonna be the MVP. This is gonna happen. This is gonna happen. They're gonna build you up, and they're gonna tear you down, and they're gonna do this, and they're gonna get into your life, and gonna second guess all your choices. And as he's saying this, like you get the 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 clip reel of Jordan winning, you know, the gold medal uh, with the Dream Team in '92. You get you know divorce, uh, allegations of adultery. His father is killed. And you know you get all of this, like him trying out for baseball, and yeah, and and, and all of that. Um, so it, it's it's setting it up because he, Affleck's got this idea for this like really tight, Damon soliloquy with the clip package, and I'll be damned if it doesn't work. It works. Like that scene is like so powerful. Yeah, um, very with, inspirational, and and, oh and it's God. Yeah, and it's funny the way they refer to it after, like in the film, they're like, well, "What a speech! Where'd that come from, Sonny?" And <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah the movie- called an audible. Good job, yeah, because they were about to show this marketing video, which is terrible. And, yeah, <laughs> it's genuinely terrible. Yeah. The marketing video, and then you've got yeah <laughs> Affleck playing Phil Knight, who's just a little bit much, but I enjoyed it. But like that's how he is, I guess, in real life. It's He's a little like much. This- Guru, yeah, it's a little much, and I wonder how much of it was like Affleck projecting like himself on Phil Knight because there's like near the end, there's this like scene of Phil Knight shoplifting from the cafeteria at his own company. And I'm like, this is kind of like sad Affleck material where you know he's coming out of Duncan with some donuts, (laughs) yeah, yeah, like like, uh, when he comes back, I just went for a run. I'm thinking, I I have more like I just went for a smoke and a dunk. And, yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's like I have everything anyone could possibly want in this life, and I'm miserable. <laughs> it's it's kind of beautiful in its way, but uh, yeah, no the 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 you know the uh, Damon 
I'm so so confused with thoughts right now. But yeah, the, okay. the Damon performance is really good. He bounces off Bateman well. I like Bateman a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it it's it really is. What what I find interesting about this is it's an in, it's an underdog story, which a lot of sports movies are. And it, it you know the ending, which you do with a lot of sports movies. Mm-hmm. But essentially, what you're cheering for is the branding of an entire company. And I I question how much of this is Affleck sort of like winking and knowing all the way because there's a scene at where Damon goes into a Seven Eleven, and Affleck just kind of like gently pans over all the brand names you see the wheaties box you see the slurpee even like the magazine rack where it like you it just gently pans over and you see the sports illustrated and the playboy <laughs> and it's just like he, he's like saying look at all the brands isn't this crazy how our life is like governed by all these brands you're watching a movie that's essentially the origin of a brand doesn't yeah. that feel weird and it feels like he's punking us and then you know at the end you get this montage it's set to born in the usa which there's a scene in the movie where the jason bateman character like goes into detail about how he suddenly realized that this raw raw jingoistic song about american exceptionalism is actually a a a story about the betrayal of the american dream a guy goes to vietnam comes home and finds that there's no place for him in his own country anymore yeah. And then it, the movie ends by siding with the mythology of the song by like everyone got paid and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that he would use that again, yeah, after Jason Bateman's character comments on it. Yeah. And yeah, Ben Affleck it almost strikes me like if he was coming of age, like if he was directing in the 80s, mm-hmm. he would make jing- jingoistic sort of stuff maybe, right? Yeah. But he's got that level of self-consciousness that most people do now where it's like he does see the other side. So it's probably why he chose that song again later on, just so he can kind of have it both ways, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, you know, we all cheer on these athletes and these brands and yet, yet why are we doing it sort of thing too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think, I think he, uh, yeah, it's hard to know exactly what what he's thinking. I know he sort of has always had aspirations to be sort of like an artistic director, and he did well, like Argo did. He's done well with that in the past, and he's directed mm-hmm. other very good films. So uh, maybe he's thinking about that, but I think probably he on from the outset it was just like how incredible this story was because he's a sports fan, right? So sure. how incredible it was that. Jordan draft third overall in the draft, mm-hmm. you know, not number one, you know, and th- they mentioned that he was cut from his high school basketball team, mm-hmm. you know, all of this sort of underdog story. And then this, th- this company, which is underdog in a sense, even though it's a billion dollar company, but it's floundering yeah. in its basketball division, yeah. people with real lives, real families, Jason Bateman's character has a seven year old daughter. They have, real concerns how you know they're just fading and then it takes this jolt from Sonny although like you said he's like risking all their livelihoods but that risk ends up helping them mm-hmm. and and you know that's a it's a great way to look at it because they might have all been out of a job a couple weeks later anyway from the the, the way they were talking about yeah. the basketball division so right it's good he took a risk 
you know, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly what Ben Affleck's intentions are, but you know, we are in a capitalistic society with sports and he, he likes both of those. He's done well for himself in both arenas, I think. Right. Well, and I think too, it's, it's a movie made by basketball fans about basketball. And I think that really shines through is that, um, it, it feels like everybody is really dedicated to putting the best face on the game. And um, Michael Jordan was involved as I, I, in terms of like just giving his blessing to the whole affair. I, I also think he had like kind of some say over who played his mom. And I think Viola Davis was his first choice, probably only choice. I mean, it's a bit like <laughs> you know, it's she's kind of like the Tom Hanks of uh, of black female actors at this point it's like if you have a black female character who do you want to get to play well viola davis of course yeah. um so you know obviously it's putting michael's best face forward but i also think it doesn't come it doesn't really quite pull its punches um i i think the the movie is kind of open and honest about how you know a lot of these big sports these big sp- uh shoe companies were willing to exploit michael for his his skill um and you know at the end of the day he he wins on his own terms everybody gets rich but you know everybody gets rich on michael's terms and you know if if people are going to make a mint on your name you might as well get a piece of the action too so yeah 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 and it, the, and they talk about the sunny character because there's been a controversy in collegiate sports in the states yeah. where they don't for years those athletes did not make any money off of that right and they couldn't right. even take a pair of jeans or something from a supporter yeah and uh he actually helped it says at the end that that sunny in real life helped with that court case to yeah give give those athletes you know their rights their name and likeness and yeah and and that and uh one one point i want to make about this the soundtrack's really good from the 80s yeah yeah but it's a little bit much (laughs) it's a lot it's a lot it's it's like you know all the songs and it's just like one after another yeah and the song all i need is a miracle is still in my head after watching (laughs) that a few days ago (laughs) same thing happened with the movie spencer so Mm -hmm. i want people to stop using that that song because it it just gets stuck in my head yeah the 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 mic drops were obnoxious at a certain point it's (laughs) you know there's there's a lot of scenes Although, you know, what's weird is, like, there's scenes with, he's watching, like, videotape of, like, gameplay, and that, like, that of the rewind, oh, that's, that was beautiful ADR, is that ka-chunk, flick, ka-chunk, flick, it's, um, I'm not saying I would listen to a whole movie about that, but, uh, I wish, (laughs) Lord, Lord knows, Lord knows we didn't need the Time Life 80s collection playing over the entire film. Anyway. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it was just like every hit. Money for nothing. <laughs> blister in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Rock the Casbah. Yeah, and, after, time after, after time. and after Gross Point Blank, you can't have somebody driving through town playing Blister in the Sun anymore. That's That was just, that was lazy, Ben Affleck. I'm just saying. Yeah. All right, that's it for this week's show. We <laughs> hope you liked it. If you want to listen to us again, you can find us on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits Radio. Just search for End Credits on CFRU. 
You can find us on social media as well. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where can people find you out there on the internet? On the internet, you can find me at Flash in the Deadpan on social media. Mm-hmm. Please reach out if you want to chat about anything film-related. And not about 80s music. No, I um, like the 80s music too, so feel free to reach out on that as well. With conditions. I <laughs> will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources. Guelph is Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. You can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next week for another episode of End Credits, and we will see you then.